Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast, where we cover the news of the community and learn from each other. My name is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. The Surface Library recently proposed scoped CSS. If you're not familiar, Surface is a server-side rendering component library that allows developers to build rich, interactive user interfaces writing minimal custom JavaScript. So if you like the idea of React-like components in LiveView, give this library a look. Looks like Connor and Frank were able to spike up a Flutter UI on top of Nerves. There's a link in the show notes uh, to see a little demo of that. That looks pretty exciting. That's interesting. I will just mention what Flutter UI is. Uh, it, it is a Google technology uh, where they're trying to build cross-platform toolkits for Android, iOS, and Chrome OS for their Chromebooks. So it is an interesting idea to be able to put that UI on top. I'm very interested to see where that one goes. There's lots of small updates out in the community. Um, so I'll, I'll list some here. There's Credo gained a new check for the, the compile ENV call. Groxio has some courses coming up. I'm seeing lots of developers try out LiveView with some interesting projects. Uh, there's a new library out there called Gleam Compile to help integrate Gleam and Elixir. Uh, Contentful updated their SDK and supports Elixir. So uh, while these are a lot of small updates, really the big news item here is that um, the Elixir community is live and well. We're doing lots of work out there. So it's really, really encouraging to see um, all the different things that are happening out there. Jose Valim, the creator of Elixir, was interviewed on the Changelog podcast. That was episode number 402. On that podcast, he discusses the aqua hire of Platform Attack, the three-person team that is now the company Dashbit, and their new Bytepack initiative. Check out a link in the show notes to go listen to that. It's really interesting as he digs into more of the direction he wants to go with Bytepack and his new company, Dashbit. Elixir Master was updated. It looks like um, the calendar module is gaining some new callbacks. Uh, The three that I see are day of week, beginning of week, and end of week. So uh, over the last couple of versions of Elixir, uh, we've seen steady improvements of the calendar modules being able to work with other time zones, for example. Um, So it's good to see more of the community effort being merged into Elixir Core. Also, I noticed that uh, is exception. The, a guard, a new guard is exception is is uh, introduced into Elixir Core. This builds upon is struct, which was also recently added. Um, so heads up, in case you didn't know, an, an exception is a struct. So really, this is just checking for a specific kind of struct. Uh, seems like an easy win. And then uh, lastly, what I saw was when when using a, a dependency, like in, in Mix, when you're listing out your, your dependencies in there, uh, and you list one that has the source on Git, either GitHub or other some other Git source, um, the default branch was assumed to be master when it wasn't specified. So you can specify the, the branch manually if you wanted to, but if you don't uh, specify it, it just assumes master. Um, the change here is it looks like they've updated it to ask Git for the default branch, which um, if you haven't seen that conversation, there's a lot of developers that are moving um, their default branch away from master into a new term. Uh, for example, main. Main seems to be a, the popular one. And more changes landed in the Elixir 1.11 release that's shaping up. Previously, we discussed the runtime.exs config file that was being proposed. Well, that was merged in on July 11th. And to quote from the change log, it says, This new configuration file, config-runtime.exs, is loaded exactly before your application starts, always after compilation. It is loaded in development, test, and production, regardless if you are using mix or releases. Therefore, it provides a unified API for runtime configuration in Elixir. 
The changelog also includes instructions and details on how to migrate to this new file. Since the config file needs to be used without mix present, there is a new macro called config underscore env that you use instead of saying mix.env when comparing for the environment. So see a link to in the show notes for details in the changelog. Oban release 2.0. Uh, Oban is a job processing library that is backed by Postgres, uh, and the pro version gets you a couple of extra features. For example, uh, better Oban web features, so a good UI there, uh, smarter job prioritization, uh, better rules for rescuing orphan jobs, uh, lots more features. Uh, we'll have a link in the show notes uh, announcing Oban Pro uh, to find out more. Um, and then lastly, another reminder to fill out the Elixir ecosystem survey. It's open until August 11th. Uh, you'll find the link in there. And uh, by the way, if you find uh, any uh, newsworthy Elixir news and you want to be mentioned on the podcast, uh, tweet at us at Thinking Elixir on Twitter. That's it for the news. Today, we'd like to welcome to our show our special guest, Ricardo Trindad. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. You are calling in from uh, Lisbon. Is that correct? Yep. Lisbon, Portugal. So one of the things that interested me, I saw some of your blog posts and sharing your journey as you've been kind of exploring Elixir and GraphQL. And I thought this is a great opportunity for you, dear listener, who are new to Elixir, maybe new to the community or new to GraphQL. It's awesome because Ricardo is just a kind of few steps ahead of where you might be and just kind of learn from what he's experiencing and what his journey has been like. And for you, dear listener, who is a longtime member of the Elixir community, it's great to be able to hear the experiences of someone coming fresh and what, what that's like to see how we can better help people adjust and adapt and come into our community. So I'm excited for it. So first, why don't you just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about where you work and what kind of problems you're solving. Yeah, so um, currently I'm working for Marley Spoon uh, as a full stack engineer for around three months now. We're using Rails and GraphQL on the back end and then um, React and TypeScript on the front end. So Marley Spoon is a company that offers a subscription product where we deliver meal kits every week. And these meal kits, they, what they have is they contain recipe cards and then the ingredients for you to make those recipes. You can choose from uh, several different recipes every week. We have like recipes for people that are vegan, people that are trying to cut on their dairy or like going low carb, for example. And we're available in several countries like USA, Australia, and then in uh, countries like in Europe, like Sweden, Denmark, Belgium, the Netherlands and Germany. So the recipes, they also differ depending on the, the country where you live in. So you'll be getting uh, in the America, you'll get uh, like way more uh, meat-based recipes, like barbecue, from, from what I can remember at least. And if you're like in, a, in Sweden or Denmark, you will see those traditional dishes that they have there. As for problems that we're solving, I can give you the, the example like during the, this COVID-19 pandemic that we're living through. A lot of people were afraid to go out and do grocery shopping. And with Marley Spoon, they were able to like, get the food at, in, uh, at their homes without having to go outside, like risking getting infected. And um, yeah, because we provide everything that you need to cook, either lunch or dinner, ingredients, everything. And yeah, and I've been working with Edix um, here for, for some months now. I mean, we started on, on my previous company. Right now on Marley Spoon, we're not, um, we're not using any Elixir that I know of. But um, on my previous company, uh, we started right, uh, around the time where we hired a UVP of engineering. And we had this uh, monolithic Rails application on the back end, and we were on the process of uh, breaking the monolith into several uh, smaller services, moving into an event-based architecture. And so he suggested that we try 
a new tech stack that suggested Elixir because from what we've seen in the past, it was scalable. It was similar to, to Ruby, which was what most of the backend developers were used to, to code. And so, yeah, the, at the time where, when we got started, the company bought a course for us on uh, Udemy. So a course with um, Elixir and Phoenix, so you would learn both the, the, framework, the framework and the language. Yeah, then we started implementing some, some small services, like trying to get acquainted with, with the language, and that's like, how I got started. I guess one question I have uh, about where the company you were working, where they introduced Elixir, were you there long enough to see how that was progressing in terms of solving the, the problems? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the first service that we implemented was some sort of like, a, it was using Broadway SQS. So it was like the first integration with the event-based architecture that uh, we were trying to, to aim for. So it was like a service that would listen to events from uh, Amazon SQS, and then it would publish those events to, to some other uh, subscribers that were listening to it, and they, the integrations would happen on, on their site. Uh, I mean, that service uh, started to run really well. And then the, the one that I got to work into was the, um, a, a pricing service. Because at the time, we were planning on moving to, um, a, uh, I mean, the, this, this company was based in the UK. And so at the time, we were planning on moving into a separate country, and the, the whole pricing calculations would be different. And it, they were very complex on the existing calculations. And so we thought, okay, maybe now it's time to redo this from scratch. Let's do this in Elixir. And so that was the one where I got to, to work with, like, fully hands-on experience and yeah, experience it for the first time. So I know you have experience, you'd mentioned Ruby on Rails and from your blog, I've seen you talk about also uh, Kotlin and TypeScript. I'm just curious what your experience has been, you know, coming from these different languages, these different perspectives, coming to Elixir, having had a chance to see services built in it and then work on services directly yourself, kind of what have your impressions been? As I do mostly Ruby these days, I mean, I think it's what most people said, okay, Elixir, in terms of syntax, it's very similar to, to, to Ruby. So I didn't find like the, the switch that hard at all to, to do. So it made, it's pretty simple. I think that the biggest change would be like Elixir being a functional programming language. I mean, and, uh, and me, myself, I didn't have any software engineering course like where we learned the depths of functional programming so that would be some of the, the greatest struggle but i mean changing from one language to another was pretty simple what about the comparison between kotlin and elixir because kotlin is much more strongly typed than than elixir do you find a lot more differences there not sure really because the, at the time when i used kotlin it was like the, the first language that i used professionally let's say where i, I started using kotlin uh, developing for android yeah, I mean, you get some stuff. I mean, the, the IDE that we were using for Android Studio, it did a lot for us. And I still miss a bit of that with Elixir, like the IDE making some suggestion or auto-completion that we could get with Android Studio for free. I also find it pretty interesting. I, I wonder uh, what the statistic is for new developers coming into Elixir that the reason why they're coming into Elixir is because they're breaking down a monolith Rails app <laughs> into microservices or or smaller services, at least. Because um, I've heard that a lot, you know, from a lot of success stories. You know, usually an antidote with that is, you know, that we, we had 50 servers running and now we have five or something like that. Did you experience that, that similar kind of like performance gain as well when you had the opportunity to re-architect into some Elixir services? 
No, not really, because uh, at the time when we were starting starting to implement this pricing service, I only got to implement like an initial stage of it, and then I left the company to Marley Spoon, so I didn't get to see it running. So, I didn't, but yeah, I was super curious to see the the benefits of it, like because I think there's some news on WhatsApp that they were running Erlang on like a very big machine, but they, they were serving like millions and millions of customers. Yeah, WhatsApp is an awesome kind of a story you can hold up to show like what's possible, you know, at what, what kind of scale it can operate at. Uh, so one of the things I wanted to mention is like the blog post that you wrote, and I thought it would just be kind of fun to talk about. So you're, you know, this is what I encourage people to do. And, you know, I think you did a great job of this, which is just find a problem that you find interesting that you care about, and try to solve it with a new technology and see what how, see how that goes. That's a, a way to learn the new technology with something that actually interests you. It's not just a purely academic, I'm solving some arbitrary puzzle. So maybe you could give us a little bit of an in, a background on what it was you chose to solve and what that looked like. Yeah, so this would be like everything coming together. So uh, I had just started at Marley Spoon in, in April, which was also around the time that the, the, the country was going into lockdown. The COVID-19 pandemic was reaching Portugal. And also around the time that this uh, game for the Nintendo Switch Animal Crossing came out, and I saw a bunch of people on Twitter like posting pictures and saying that they, they love the game. And so me and my girlfriend, we bought the game, and uh, there's tons of stuff that you can do, uh, do there. So you can fish, you can catch bugs, you can invite other people to come over. At the same time, when I was starting at Marley Spoon, uh, we were using uh, GraphQL and I had never used GraphQL before. So I thought, okay, let me try and do some sort of learn how to use GraphQL in a completely unrelated project that has nothing to do professionally. And But at the same time to learn the GraphQL al along with Elixir and to do some sort of uh, improve on the existing tools that already had for, for you to get better at the game. Because just for, for some extra context, uh, the, the fish that you can catch in the game, I mean, they change their location. So you can only catch some sort of fish on, on the sea, some other fish on, on the river, and some only come in May or June or depends on the time of the month. So the, and the existing websites, I mean, I didn't like the, the way that they were structured. So, okay, let me try and build this simple API in uh, Elixir and GraphQL to see if I can make it any better. I admit, I'm also a player of Animal Crossing, and I had the turn up calculator on my phone for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Just to make sure I can make bellions. Oh, that's great. What I think is really cool about your experience then is now you've had the experience of writing GraphQL or working with the GraphQL in a Rails application and experimenting with an Elixir Absinthe one. I've never actually done it in Rails. I'm just curious about your experience of you know, how did it work and what was, what was that like? In Rails, it would be pretty simple. You just, I mean, you can follow the guides for GraphQL Ruby and it will show you how to set up your, your GraphQL endpoint and how to, to build a schema to add the queries and mutations that you need. I found it super similar to do the, in Elixir and I mean, even faster to get up and running with the, the Elixir application with the GraphQL endpoint working. So yeah, pretty easy experience in, in both cases. Did you find one versus the other to be more intuitive? I'll say that the, the, the Ruby would be more intuitive, but just because I'm way more accustomed to programming Ruby than, than Elixir. But again, still pretty simple to, to do it in Elixir. I'm looking through your blog post here about the API. I like how you break it down, by the way. 
Yeah, and then one of the things that I decided to to do later on was to like I, I think that the, at the end of the blog post I said that I would like to add some tests because I would also like to know how it is to write tests for these GraphQL APIs. I mean, in Ruby, what what we're doing right now is we're just testing, hitting the endpoint, and asserting on the the response type. It it matches what you're expecting to see. And then, but in Elixir, it was also super easy to get set up and just run write some simple tests. We had a recent episode where we talked about GraphQL as an API as opposed to REST. And I'm just curious, because you've probably had a fair bit of experience with REST APIs, and now coming to GraphQL, either be it in Ruby or Elixir, kind of what was your feeling on GraphQL as a way of doing APIs? Yeah, I mean, I gotta say I was listening to that that episode like one or two days ago. But um, (laughs) I mean... At the time where the, I mean, when I joined Marley Spoon, um, the, the, the GraphQL API was already implemented and um, I didn't know what led them to make the change because before they had like tons of different endpoints and the, one of the, the, the difficulties that they were struggling with was that you had to make tons of requests to get uh, just a, a single resource. Uh, and then when they made the change, immediately you could see like the, the amount of data going down. You, I mean, you just ask for a user and then you ask for the post and you don't have to make like three or four or five requests, several different endpoints. So, I mean, that really simplifies the, the way that you're, you're coding. More so with, with us using a TypeScript on the, on the front end, we're using a, a tool called um, GraphQL Code Generator, I think, where it reads from, from your schema and immediately it generates all the types for you. So I mean, it, the, the development speed that we get there from having all the types generated and seeing what can and cannot be requested, I mean, it really speeds us up while creating these features. So are you using uh, React.js or Vue.js or something like that on the front end? Yeah, it's uh, React with, with TypeScript, yep. Nice. So something that you had mentioned about testing, test, the testing story between Ruby and Elixir oftentimes looks pretty different. Um, especially if you're using RSpec on the Ruby side. Did you notice a lot about like what the what the testing story was like? Did you did you notice a lot of difference there when you had to when you shifted between the languages? Uh, I mean, I saw some I mean, with the the GraphQL uh, endpoint and the, the whole article on Medium. I mean, it was pretty similar to what I was already doing with RSpec. But uh, I remember being some differences where we were testing the stuff on the previous company with, with the pricing service that we were building compared to, to our spec. I mean, setup is completely different. And then you don't have like this uh, factory methods that create the objects on, on the database. You get like the, the fixtures that already come with the generated tests. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, uh, I found it a bit different. Yeah. Yeah. You've already mentioned a number of benefits you've seen from GraphQL. Or have there been any challenges? The whole GraphQL thing, it's not like a, a silver bullet. We've been struggling with the, some issues like authorization because um, we have mobile apps consuming from the, the GraphQL endpoints, but now I've been working on a, um, on a, a, like a back office application. And uh, now there's some authorization concerns here that show up, like cause you, you have like um, customer agents that need to change something on a, on a user and, they, and you've got to make sure that the the clients, the mobile apps, don't have access to the same fields as the the, the same fields on the schema that the, the the customer agent has. So that we had lots of discussion going uh, around that topic. Same with the error handling, because I guess that with with REST you'd get like 400, 404, uh, 422, and all those status codes. 
but then with, with GraphQL, you got to find a way to, to model that. Like you can use the, the existing GraphQL error, you can use some sort of different approaches that, um, I mean, we, we, take, we took this approaches from a book called Production Ready GraphQL. That's not like a, I didn't find it as simple as with REST, let's say. So Ricardo, I'd also like to hear about uh, your experience learning Elixir. You mentioned some Udemy courses. Uh, is there any particular resources that you would recommend to someone who's coming new to Elixir that you found really helpful? Yeah, I mean, th this Udemy course that uh, that also features Elixir and Phoenix, I think it's a, a really good starting point. The only downside of it would be, I think that the course was built using Phoenix 1.3 or a version prior to 1.3, and then a lot of breaking changes or something changed with the, the newer versions. And I faced some difficulties when trying to update or trying to work with the newer versions uh, using the knowledge that I had from that course. Other than that, yeah, I think that the, the tutorial that there is on the Elixir Lang website is also a good starting point. Like a mix of both should be good. That is one of the challenges of creating any kind of content that's around something technical, right? You know, like be it a book or courses or online videos, just because it is very time-based, it can change rapidly. And then your content needs to all be updated. I have sympathy. Uh, for you, dear listener, if you're looking to learn Elixir, I offer courses on thinkingelixir.com. I'll tell you more about that at the end of the show. So Ricardo, coming back to your experience uh, coming first to Elixir, uh, what are some of the things that you found? I'd love to hear kind of your experience of what features that you really liked and maybe something that you struggled with. Yeah, the, I think the pattern matching and um, like a biggest change because you, you don't have that in Ruby. I mean, I think you have that now with the, the latest version, but I, it doesn't feel as comfortable as it feels with, with Elixir. The whole thing where you can just be typing your code and just uh, on the console and you hit recompile and then it automatically recompiles or, or you reloads your code and it's ready. I mean, I really like that. And uh, also the, um, the, the speed that the tests run so, I mean, from our spec, uh, right now you get this like two, three second delay where, I don't know, it's loading the, all the, the code that it needs to run the test, but you just run mixed test and it, it's done, but it, uh, it's super fast. So th those were the things that I really liked when I started to dive into Elixir. As per something that I struggled with, I would say like Ecto, because um, I, you're, I'm super accustomed with Rails to do like user.update something and it's done. And I guess with, with Ecto, it, the, the syntax starts to complicate when you need to run like from you in user where something, when you need to, to type in more complicated queries, the syntax, I mean, for me, it, it was a bit uh, difficult to, to learn. Yeah, that is a, a good point that it is very, you know, the active record kind of model where you can just kind of chain uh, methods uh, to kind of just follow resources. You know, there's a certain simplicity to that. So doing queries using the, Ecto style, where you have a couple different flavors of, way of ways of doing queries. And then, yeah, so I can totally see how that would be something new to have to deal with. So I'm curious, I know you're, you've been at your job now for three months, and it's I, presumably that's a wonderful job and you're happy with it. But what is keeping you from going all in with Elixir at this point? I have some side projects that I've been, been working on. One of them would be like a, a small text-based browser game where I'm trying to use like Live View to like keep updating. I mean, use everything that you have with, with Live View. One thing that uh, keeps me from going all in is let's say that I'm looking for this library to, I mean, I need to do image processing or I need to do audio processing as an example. 
And then like, you, you Googled it up and then on GitHub, the, the library has been maintained since like 2016 or 17. So that's what's kind of keeping me from going all in because I think, okay, maybe this hasn't been maintained. And I, I've seen this a couple of times and I'm a bit afraid to like start using it because then it might break in some later version of Elixir. Yeah, it's it can be a, a problem, you know, as a uh, as a newer language doesn't have uh, as many of the uh, I'll call them niche um, packages, but maybe not even niche. You know, maybe some core packages you you might consider um, that haven't been developed yet, or they have been partly developed and then you know left alone and kind of abandoned. Um, but I also want to remind everybody too that you know just just because something hadn't been developed in twenty six you know since twenty sixteen doesn't mean that it doesn't work anymore. It just might mean that it's stable and that they haven't had to revisit it. Um, I, I've I've heard several library maintainers complain about that. Like somebody opens up an issue, is like, is this project dead? No, it's not dead. It's it's fine. It's just you know it's stable, and we haven't had to come back and touch it because it works. Um, and Im- image processing, I would bet, um, with, with Elixir isn't something that, um, the libraries out there right now, um, having not used them, this is totally a, a guess here, but having, uh, having image processing libraries, these libraries probably aren't doing the image processing themselves, but they're managing the programs that are doing it, such as image magic. And so a lot of, a lot of these libraries that, uh, they might actually just provide bindings to something that is much more stable, like Image Magic. So I, I know one of them out there is called Mogrify. Um, and so the the library action there might not be that much because it's simply a shell, you know, a wrapper around making calls to the Image Magic process, you know, on your system. Um, but it does provide. It, it does. Uh, yeah, it, it makes you wonder sometimes if um, if there's a better solution out there. So, dear listener, as you're hearing this, I want to make sure that you are aware of another option. Like one of the things that I've had to do at times is there are certain Ruby gems that I needed uh, for my project that was like critical. Uh, Now, it's important that these are not web facing things like a device or something like that that's hooking into Rails to become useful or an admin interface, nothing like that. But say a Ruby wrapper that does special image processing or it talks to Active Merchant or something like that. Sometimes there are Ruby gems that are just kind of critical. And rather than recreate the entire thing in Elixir, sometimes it's just easier to use the Ruby gem. So an option for that is that Elixir and the Beam has a feature called ports. And ports can actually run a separate OS level process and supervise that and then let your application talk to it that way. So it's not as efficient as a NIF, but for the most part, that's not what I'm needing. It's not like, you know, microsecond kind of computation that I'm looking to do. I'm just needing to be able to execute something in Ruby, which isn't, it's not super CPU efficient anyway. One of the projects I use is called Earl Ports. And I use that to call out to Ruby sometimes if there's something I need like that. Uh, we're using a special fork of it uh, because it is, uh, it is like like you mentioned, it's a little bit less maintained and there are some community forks uh, that have kind of kept it up to speed and brought it forward. So I use one of those. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, But it's also able to do Python. So if you're having Python uh, and you're wanting to do machine learning or, you know, here's an image, can can you find the people in it? You know, something like that. That is an option there as well. I just want you to be aware that saying if you're coming to Elixir, that you still have the option to leverage certain key things that exist 
outside of the Elixir ecosystem that aren't represented yet without recreating it. Sometimes it's appropriate and you're able to just leverage the existing thing. So just something to be aware of. You can check that out. Uh, I have a fun question for you. Do you still do you still play Animal Crossing? Yeah, I do. I mean, my girlfriend plays every day. Uh, every and, day? I, yeah, every day. Now she checks turnip prices. I mean, I also have the, the, the application, the turnip profit on, on my smartphone to check when are the prices going up or down. But yeah, yeah. I mean, she, she plays every day and yeah, <laughs> super fun and super addictive. Yeah, I, I found myself playing it for like a month. And then after that, I was like, done. I hadn't even opened it up. You know, it's been like two months <laughs> afterwards, but I, I got, you know, I had I had my enjoyment. It was a lot of fun. I still think really fondly of it, but it's one of those uh, one of those things that just kind of like brain wormed, you know, and just like you just thought about it, and you had to keep, you had to keep on going back and getting all the seashells and stuff. I don't know. That's fun. Just as we wrap up, is there anything else you wanted to mention? Uh, I mean, I'm remembering like I forgot to mention block tests because that was also one of the things that I really like uh, when. Uh, I think it was on a, the Udemy course, yeah, that they featured, like, okay, you just type in what a, the, your function should output, like how you should call it, and then it, it acts itself as a test. And I, mean, I really like that. I haven't seen that before. And so I thought, yeah, that serves as documentation so that the, the user that's using your, your, uh, your library, let's say, knows how to call it and knows like, how it should work in the end, what are the, the results. Yeah, doc tests are super cool. I love those. That also reminds me of uh, module docs and readmes. Like, how do how do you keep your you know your published documentation and examples up to date? Um, and uh, there there's ways you, like you know at compile time you can read the the module doc and cut out a chunk of it. Um, and yeah, it's pretty it's pretty cool that the the little techniques you can use to um, to sync up you know public facing documentation and then your your running examples. So I really love get doc tests as well. So Ricardo, I would just be curious about your plans as you go forward. Do you think you'll continue playing with Elixir in your on personal projects? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have the, these side projects that I like to keep working on whenever I have time or the willpower to to do so. And I mean, if possible, I would also uh, like to try and introduce it in the in the company that I'm currently working for. I mean, I know at least of two or three other developers that I've used in the past. So yeah, I would like to, to bring that topic forward someday. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on and talking with us. If people want to follow you or get in touch with you, what, what's the best way to do that? I'd say Twitter yeah, would be the, the best way to, to get in touch with me. And what's your Twitter handle? Yeah, so it's uh, CoolRiki19. And we'll have that in the show notes. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening. And we hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir. When I first came to Elixir, I initially struggled with pattern matching. I didn't even know how to mentally parse the code I was looking at. As I got the hang of it, it started to feel like a superpower. I loved it. However, I often still wrote code that was very imperative. I knew I wasn't applying it well yet. I remember one day, I wrote some code and felt like it wasn't Elixir-y enough. I looked at examples of good code, refactored it, but it still wasn't right. I repeated that a couple more times looking at good examples of Elixir code and refactoring it. Finally, I felt like I got it. That was such a great feeling. In fact, I was so pleased I saved that code as a trophy. If you haven't already experienced something like that, then that's why I created my pattern matching course. It walks you through how pattern matching works with different data types and helps you get that superpower feeling. 
Best of all, this course is free. I want everyone to be able to get pattern matching. It is a foundation to so much in Elixir. In the course, you download a project with failing tests. You practice TDD to solve the problems and make the tests pass. You take it at your own speed. You can practice refactoring and finding that solution that feels like a good example of Elixir code. Go to thinkingelixir.com and enroll in my free pattern matching course and experience it for yourself.